Welcome into One Giant Step, and this is One Giant Episode. Guy we haven't heard from in quite a few weeks, but what better time than now that the dust has settled from the draft. He's a frightening face to look at, but a beautiful voice to listen to. His name is Paul Dottino. Paul, welcome back for this episode, pal. How are you? Hey, great to rejoin you, Sean. I think the uh, terminology is a face made for radio, right? Well, and listen, I've been told I have it plenty, so I, I, I totally, I totally understand. Paul, let's get right to it. You had my juices flowing pre-draft, um, texting me a little bit, especially after night one of the draft and what they had done, and looking ahead to night right. two. Uh, shockingly, you and I were kind of in lockstep on, you know, wide receiver, center, the whole thing. Oh, by the way, the Giants ended up being on lockstep too, as far as a lot of that went in. We're gonna throughout this episode get into your thoughts, Paul, on everything they did with the draft and. Uh, you know, what you liked, what they didn't like. But I do want to start this episode with just the philosophy in this draft. Um, right off the bat, two of the first three picks, the Giants are in trade-up situations. And when looking back at the old regime of Dave Gettleman and the jokes used to be made about you know, not trading back, you know, whether trading up, Joe Shane was so fluid in this draft, uh, including involving Brian Dable, which I'm sure you'll get to uh, in a little bit here and placing the call of the text to Sean McVay on day three. But even day one, you know, the one thing that Giant fans have walked away from this draft skeptical on is just moving up one spot and using a couple back-end picks to do so. Uh, Paul, give us some insight, man. What what did you think of the way that Shane handled, specifically rounds one and three with the trade-ups? And number two, why would the Giants trade two third-round picks to move up just one spot and land Deontay Banks? Well, first off, I think it's important to understand that Joe Shane actually showed two very important characteristics during the first three rounds. He showed the ability to be aggressive and to get what he wanted in one and three by trading up. But in round two, he showed incredible patience by waiting for John Michael Schmitz, the center out of Minnesota, to drop to 57. I mean, here was the thing. If you looked at the Giants draft collateral, okay, they went in with 11 draft picks, then traded the third rounder a month ago for Darren Waller. So that brought them down to 10. I was under the understanding that the Giants did not want to go into this draft drafting more than eight players, okay? Yeah. They know that they've got a better team. There's no reason to draft 11 players or 10 players. Especially eight when you consider undrafted free agents that might have a chance to crack the run. Correct. As well. so, so eight was the max. So they were going to make trades. In fact, it was likely they were going to make three-for-one draft pick trades. But here was the trick. Dable did not want to tap into the first three rounds of the draft in a trade, nor did he necessarily want to tap into the first three rounds of next year's draft. So he was going to have to try to figure out moving up in the draft and finding value by dealing his fourth and fifth round picks. That was going to be the trick because he had already traded the third for Waller earlier. So he was not going to trade the only third that he had left 
on draft weekend. You following me so far? Yeah. The only thing I'll say is you real quickly, you just said Dable didn't want to. Did you mean Shane? Or- oh, Shane, Shane, okay. Shane. I meant Shane. Right. But right. they're in lockstep anyway. Of we course. That. That's why I just wanted to see, though, if that was more, you know, Dable was pressing him on that. Yeah, okay. I misspoke. It was no definitely problem. Shane. Okay. So understanding that the fourth and fifth rounders were going to have to be the keynote dealer, dealer dealings in a, in a draft, that's what he wound up doing. All right, so let's make that clear in terms of the overall general philosophy. Now, in the first round, the Giants knew there were at least two teams be, behind them who wanted to trade up to get banks. Okay? One of those teams has already come out and revealed itself. That would be Brandon Bean with the Buffalo Bills. Now, he wasn't going up to get banks. He wanted to go up to get Dalton Kincaid because right. he was afraid the Cowboys were going to get him. Right. Now, I've already tweeted this out because he gave that to the Buffalo Bills media. Yeah. He had a deal already in line with Shane. All right. And that would have slid the Giants back another four or five spots. I forget what that ended up being. Maybe so 27, it would have 27. been. 27, okay. All right. They were right. at 25, okay? okay? It would have slid them back just a couple of spots, okay? But the problem was the Giants had a cluster of players, all right? In fact, it's pretty amazing. They had guys at all different positions in the cluster. And I, I'm not at liberty to tell you which positions, but I know who the guys were. And and they were coming off the board rapidly as they were getting close to their picks. A couple uh, of the receivers, including Zay Flowers, were rumored there, Paul. I'm not you're not gonna have you confirm that. Yeah, but that was- I don't mind I don't mind telling you those guys were certainly hot names. Right. Okay. Sure. Now, as the receiver run occurred right before the Giants picks, and let me tell you something. There was Buffalo, uh, not Buffalo, there was Baltimore, and there was Minnesota, yeah, and there was Pittsburgh. All three of those teams could have been potentials for Deontay Banks, okay? Mm-hmm. The Giants got lucky that there was a run on receivers right before they drafted, and they also knew that as those receivers came off the board and Banks was going to be their primary target, they knew that there were two teams behind them that were trying to trade up, okay? Knowing that, that's why they contacted Jacksonville and said, can we move up one spot? Because we're afraid someone's going to try to trade up with you. Jacksonville was perfectly agreeable to trade down. They were not looking for a receiver or a cornerback. Right. So, so they board, board, board. Down. Right. So they were willing to deal out. They were taking phone calls. So if Shane doesn't make that deal, there were at least two teams that wanted Deontay Banks that were going to talk to the Jaguars. But the Giants were able to make that preventative strike, move up the one spot. They locked them in. They got Banks, which is the guy that they wanted. And then Jacksonville, moving a spot down, then got the call from the Bills, who wanted to then get up there so that they could swipe him away Kincaid, from right, yep. Dallas Cowboys. Kincaid. I yep. mentioned it before. So that's how the first round went down. Now, here, here's why this was so critical yeah, and why it was so important that he did what he did. Shane, by trading the fifth rounder and a seventh, he was able to hold on to his four, which then meant either in the second or third round, the Giants knew in one of those two rounds they were going to have to move up to get one of their guys whether it be the center or one of the wide receivers, they knew they were going to need that fourth round pick to move up in one of those rounds. 
Shane held his water when Tipman went to the Jets. Shane looked yeah. at the rest of the board and didn't think there was another team that was going to take a center. So he gambled and sat pat to grab John Michael Schmitz and then immediately said, okay, now we can use that fourth round collateral to move up in the third round to get our wide receiver. So that's how the machinations worked on draft night. That That's a masterclass. And I just want to say, Paul, and I'm sure you'll agree, for anybody listening to this that doesn't like the idea of trading up one spot. Now, and I'm going to bring up the other name and the reason people don't like that in a second. Just remember, it was not that long ago at the end of Jerry Reese's reign where the team sat back on that night where Laramie Tonsil had the bong video going nuts and the Giants had a couple players, including Leonard Floyd, that they had graded highly go off the board ahead of them where suddenly they were sitting there caught and scrambled and took Eli Apple and it was part of what set this franchise back. If you like a guy, you've targeted a guy, you've scouted your guy, go make sure you get that guy and don't worry about the fifth or sixth round lottery ticket uh, in that spot. Now, Paul, the reason people will push back is in this spot, Joey Porter completely fell completely fell as a corner right. where some people thought he could eventually go top 15, top 20. Uh, I, I, after reading and seeing everything, I get it. Banks absolutely fits what they're looking for with Wink Martindale way yes. more. And I love that they're involving him, but any thoughts there on, on the fact that Joey Porter fell back and the giants didn't use the same philosophy they used a, a year ago with Iki Kwanu and Evan Neal, basically will take whoever's left. Let me put it to you this way. If Joey Porter was legitimately the better corner, the Pittsburgh Steelers would have taken him before the Giants had an opportunity to. But Pittsburgh did not take Joey Porter, did they? Until the beginning of the second round. Right. If right. Porter was really, really graded higher than Banks, the Steelers would have taken him there. But they yeah. didn't. So that tells you all you need to know. Now, I will also add, I remember one very, very important time in Giants history goes back to Ernie Accorsi when he traded up to go get Jeremy Shockey. He was that sold and convinced on Shockey, and he only moved up a couple spots to go get him because he knew somebody else was going to go get him if he didn't. And that's that's what you do. When you yeah. know there's a guy that you've got to get, he's one of those guys in your cluster that you have a heart set on, you've got to go get him if you can. And again, Shane was not going to use all those picks anyway, Sean. He yeah. wanted to use some picks as draft collateral. Well, and, and again, Paul, the idea to come out of rounds one, two, and three, when you when you really think about the NFL draft, obviously you want the first-round guy to always be a guy that hits the second contract. You'd love all the picks to be that uh, and a cornerstone player for your team. But in the end, you know, maybe kind of the lazy way of observing it is your first, second, and third-round picks, generally speaking, you want them to be formidable starters on your team by year two, by year three, uh, certainly, at least for the third round, second round. The Giants have missed in so many years on these third round picks. So that's why I find Ryan round three with trading up for Jalen Hyatt to be really fascinating and, and dare I say it, awesome. Instead of sitting back and saying, okay, we'll take whoever when they when they fall to us here. They go, they get aggressive. And, you know, whether you believe in mock drafts or not, there were mock drafts that had Jalen Hyatt going to the Giants in the first round. He slides all the way down. There was questions about him running the route tree, whatever, fine. But to use a third round pick on him seems like extremely great value. And I don't know how you look at it. Go, oh, wow, they gave up a fourth-round pick. I mean, that is just exceptional working of the draft there. You're taking a guy that some thought had the skills to be a first-round pick in the third round, filling a speed need of a guy who could beat you over the top at wide receiver. Uh, and to me, I think that's why it's the most tantalizing selection because of what he brings to the table and the asset you had to give up. The two knocks that you would put on Hyatt as to why he might drop, number one, a limited route tree in Tennessee's offense. 
It's not because he can't run those other routes. It's simply put that he didn't exhibit it on tape because he only ran a limited tree. So he's going to have to get coached up. And I think we all know that wide receivers coach Mike Groh did a great job with the receivers the Giants had in the room last year. I don't think you have any doubt that he will be able to coach the best out of Hyatt and teach him the rest of the route tree. So that's not something that, that worried the Giants at all. The second part was Hyatt was, was a bit more like a pipe cleaner, a little wiry, didn't have enough meat on his bones. But here's the interesting part. From the time that he played in the mid-170s at Tennessee, he came into his pro day over 180 and is and it put on some muscle and is already putting on more muscle. And he told the Giants when they when they took him, he plans on coming in opening day at 190. All of a sudden, at 190 now, he's not a liability. Yeah. He's not a guy who at 190 is going to be easily beaten up and press coverage by a corner because now he's got a little bit of sturdiness to him. And so if, if he had played at 190 at Tennessee, I tell you, he's not going as low as he went. But there were some concerns about his ability to get off against strong corners at the release. He should not have that problem with the coaching and with the extra muscle he's put on. And, and what I wanted to add to a draft strategy was, first of all, with Joe Shane and Brian Dable, as you hit on a little bit, working in unison. The report is out there that Brian Dable was the one that either placed the text or the call to Sean McVay about finalizing that spot to move up. So, All right, let me clarify that for you, Sean. Okay. The Giants, that they knew that they were going to have to move up in the third round to get the receiver. So they had multiple people in the room starting to reach out because they knew the more calls they made to try to spread the net, if you will, yeah, it would give them the better chance of finding a taker who could move up. It just okay. so happened that Dable's call was to the Rams. Okay. And that was the one that was the one that paid off. But but Joe Shane is not the only guy in that room who's sitting there making phone calls during the draft. Which is great. He's got other people in the room also making calls. It just so happened that Dable's call was the one that produced the fruit. Now, Paul, I know you can't judge everything by a camera, but just looking at the way they were operating every time a pick came up, it just looked like a real war room for once with the Giants. You could just tell you, you know, they they exuded confidence. But the reason I bring up Dable doing that is clearly Brian Dable, an offensive-minded head coach. Mike Kafka was in that room as well. You know, if he's all in on, on making those calls or whatever, that also gives me confidence that, you know, Jalen Hyatt, the the weight and all that, like Dable clearly sees a path for Jalen Hyatt to be a factor on this giant yeah. offense to be yeah. that all in on the pick. So that that also excites me because, let's face it, and I don't know how any Giant fan listening can disagree with this, we trust this coaching staff. Like we yeah. saw last year, how many players did we see get better with good coaching? So Jalen Hyatt, for all his flaws, and I'm not saying that, he, you know, he can't become some kind of draft bust, I'm extremely confident that this coaching staff believes they can get the most out of him and use him the way he needs to be used in the NFL. Well, that's the whole synergy between the GM, the personal, uh, the personnel department, and your head coaching staff. You have to know not only what do they want, but what can they work with and what can they improve on. You have to know that. If you've got a coaching staff that can't necessarily transfer those college skills to the pro level, then what have you got? You're, you're, you're drafting strictly on projection that may never come. And, and that's why it's all part of the equation. It's one of the reasons why Kafka and Martindale coming back to the Giants this year was so incredibly important in the year two of the Dayball regime. 
And, and I would add one other thing about, about this, this particular draft. If you think about it, and I know you want to get to the, to the later guys later, but value truly met need in those first three picks. Yeah. They, they got appropriate or better value at all three positions that were necessary to improve this team. Yeah, and that leads me right into what I was going to ask you next. Okay, you just touched on Hyatt, and and correct me if I'm wrong, because I kind of want to talk about all three guys in terms of their use next year. Right. This wide receiver room suddenly seems a lot deeper. We'll we'll see about the ceiling for Hyatt. We know Hodgins and Slayton will play a role. Who knows about Shepard? Let's see Wandell on the rehab. Uh, Of course, they had Paris Campbell, and we'll see about Jamison Crowder. So I'm just naming a couple of these names. I believe that the room will be very fluid. It'll be a true training camp battle for all. I think it's impossible to think who's going to have, you know, the leading snap share of week one now. And that could be something that's easily different in October. And obviously injuries change that, but I think that's going to be fluid week to week. So I, I, my point is, Paul, I don't think anybody should panic if Jalen Hyatt isn't one of the starting three wide receivers on opening day. Correct. Correct. And and I will tell you something else. It's more likely than not that Wandell Robinson and Sterling Shepard start week one on PUP. Okay. Well, that's so, interesting. So, Even so, with the rehab, everybody's reported on Wandell or, or looked at, you know, people are getting excited about his rehab. You think he begins on pup? Oh, they're both going very well, but neither one is going to start training camp uh, on the active. I'm telling you that right now. They'll both start training camp on PUP, and it wouldn't shock me if they start week one on PUP. I okay. mean, it's a little early yet. Of to course. make a proclamation, but I'm just right. preparing you for the fact that that may be the case. And that's not necessarily bad. No. Because if you look at the numbers in the Giants wide receiver room, maybe by the time those two guys are actually ready to get into a game, the wide receiver room will have sorted itself out a little bit. Yeah, of course. And that makes the Jamison Crowder signing, you know, obviously a little more important if those guys aren't sure. ready to go out of the beginning of the year. So let's just go back to Deontay Banks for a second. Uh, I was really big on I wanted a corner in round one. I didn't love the four wide receivers, but clearly the Giants might have loved a couple of them. Uh, and I I mean, Paul, how many times did we talk about this last year? The moment of Tory Jackson got hurt, how much things changed on that back end for the Giants last year. And it just you don't know how much longer Dory Jackson's even going to be here. And the and the pick of Deontay Banks isn't just about this year. So right. you go and you get a guy that fits Wink system, uh, an extreme freak athlete. But as we know, Paul, we've been burned as Giant fans with with corners in the first round before, right? I mean, Eli Apple was atrocious. DeAndre Baker didn't work out uh, and so on and so forth. And that list is long. I mean, you got good value out of Aaron Ross as well. And Mukamura was okay. But what is the realistic expectation this year for Deontay Banks? Because they didn't bring back Fabian Moreau. We're going to see what they do, whether it's on the outside or in the slot with Flott. Aaron Robinson coming back. Is Deontay Banks, I mean, when you draft the guy 25th overall, you expect that guy probably to start right away for your team. But at the same time, you know, last year you had Tariq Woolen with the Seahawks, Sauce Gardner with the Jets, both be awesome. You know, some of these other corners, they struggle early on. Is there an expectation that Deontay Banks is going to take a little while to get used to the NFL? Or do we think full systems go here? You know, and it's going to be Sauce Gardner's a lot, but starting second corner next to a Dory Jackson, let's roll it out here. There will be some rookie growing pains for uh, Deontay Banks. And the number one growing pain you're going to have to tolerate, Sean, whenever he gets into the lineup is his grabbiness. There are times that he gets too grabby. And in the National Football League, they're going to throw those penalty flags real quick. Right. And, 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 And the last thing you want is for him to be guarding somebody downfield. And he's step for step shadowing the guy. And then he draws a 35 yard pass interference. 
All right. That's going to make your hair crawl from the back of your neck. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. okay. So, so he's going to have to clean that up. That's, that's the biggest issue that I saw in the film of, of Deontay Banks. Cause he's got the length, he's got the toughness, he's got the physicality. He'll, he'll come up and support in the run. You know, he certainly has the flat out burner speed and the shadowing skills, and he's certainly not afraid of anybody. So, so it's the grabbiness that would be the most concerning for me right now. He's going to have to grow out of that. He's going to have to learn how they call it in the NFL. And he's going to have to deal with much bigger, stronger, faster wide receivers in the NFL. That's going to instinctively make him want to grab. He's going to have to fight that instinct. Now, how quickly does he get into the starting lineup? First of all, he's not a slot corner in any way. He's a boundary corner. Totally Let's boundary. make that clear. Yep. He's played a little slot in college, but I don't think they're going to want him here in the slot. So what he'll do is he'll compete during training camp against the rehabbing Aaron Robinson, against the Radarius Williams, against everybody who's out there. And they're going to say, okay, compete. And if he deserves to start opening day, if he's that spectacular in August, Maybe he will be the week one starter, but I'll be honest with you. It won't surprise me if he's not. If I think Aaron Robinson's really, really good. To me, the value of Deontay Banks is not just what he does this year or when he gets into the lineup this year. It's the fact that if Adoree Jackson, who has a voidable year on his deal at the end of this season, is gone, you want Deontay Banks to be that number one corner yeah. in 2024. Yeah, it's look long term. It's only better for the Giants if we end 2023 and you say, wow, Aaron Robinson, Cordell Flott and Deontay Banks are players. And then you feel really confident about the corner room going forward. You're, and that's something everybody always just remind themselves. It's always about going forward. It's not just this year. Uh, real yes. quickly, before we get to day three, John Michael Schmitz, two drafted at center, second round, uh, a true anchor type player. They drafted Josh Azudu last year in the third round at a guard. Evan Neal last year in the first round at a tackle. Uh, obviously, they picked up Andrew Thomas's fifth-year option. You know, how many years in a row where we begged and begged and begged for investment in the O-line? Joe Shane now has used three borderline premium picks uh, on starters on the offensive line. Um, Paul, I got to think that they hope Izudu, Schmitz are, are two guys starting on that interior this year, right? Yeah, I think Joshua Izudu, as we enter the spring, is the guy that they would like to win the starting left guard spot. Fortunately, you've already seen the pictures in the film, so I'm not giving anything away. He is over the neck and shoulder injury that plagued him the second half of his yep. rookie season. And so he's doing the weights and everything he's supposed to do. He's cleared, he's rehabbed, and he's going to be ready to fight for that job. And I know the Giants think the world out of him. Again, a draft consultant told Zudu last year that if he stayed in school for another season and mastered one position, he would be a second-round draft pick. The Giants got him when he came out a year early as a third-round pick. Yeah, And the fact that he even played last year put him a year ahead of his career schedule. So this, this is a guy who I firmly believe is probably going to win the left guard spot. And, and I just think that you look at the youth and the pure talent on that offensive line, it's the best the Giants have had in a long, yep. long time. Yeah, and and I think and I, we hope that Schmidt solidifies it. He seems very pro-ready at the center position, but I'm certainly excited. And look, we know, Paul, the offense could go as the O-line goes. Oh, by the way, worth noting with Azudu, remember when he was in there last year, may have struggled in pass protection. He was a damn good run blocker for them. Sensational run blocker. The yep. pass, pass blocking is always going to come second with a young offensive lineman. That's just the way it goes in this league. And I talked to Alex Boone, the veteran – 
uh, offensive lineman, was in the league for a decade. Yeah. He has an offensive line school in Minnesota. And I spoke with him yesterday. He is John Michael Schmitz's personal mentor. Oh, and has been working with him for quite a long time. And in talking with Alex, he is blown away. He said Schmitz is a perfect fit for the Giants scheme. And, and specifically, he was very effusive in his praise about Michael Schmitz's capacity up here. Very, very smart player who is very, very good with the playbook and very good in recognition at the line of scrimmage. And that's going to be very critical as he acclimates himself to the NFL. I love, and I also love the nugget that Schmitz was at the Giant Viking playoff game as a fan. I found that very interesting yeah. now, uh, where hopefully he's a part of the next Giant playoff game. All right, Paul, we'll we'll kind of close out the podcast in the next couple of minutes the way the Giants closed out the draft. Talking about these day three guys, Eric Gray running back out of Oklahoma, Trey Hawkins, love uh, corner safety athletic freak out of Old Dominion. Jordan Riley, the D-tackle of Oregon, and Javarius Owens, who's obviously going to be a special teamer to start, but has the tools eventually maybe to be a starting safety out of Houston. Uh, you know, kind of give me your pecking order, Paul. What, what do you like out of here the most? Uh, you know, work your way down and give some thoughts on, you know, do you think all these guys end up making this roster this year? All right, I want you to stay seated now, Sean. I'm Eric here. Eric Gray out of Oklahoma reminds me an awful lot of Ahmad Bradshaw. Let's go. The thing that's missing is he doesn't have that second burst. He is physical. He is strong. His measurables are very similar to Bradshaw's. He runs between the tackles. He's not afraid to get physical and pick up the blitz. He's got terrific hands out of the backfield and can be a third down back in the meantime. He has everything you would want out of Ahmad Bradshaw, except Bradshaw, even though he didn't have a great 40 time, when you watched his play speed, when he got through to that second level, he hit the button on the afterburners and had a burst and could go for 40 yards. Gray is more likely going to get caught after 25 or 30. He doesn't okay. have that long speed home run hitter in him, but he's got everything else that Ahmad Bradshaw had. So I project that if Barkley is a one and done, and we don't know how long he'll be here, he'll be here this year, but if he's a one and done, I project Eric Gray as the lead back in a rotating backfield beginning in 2024 if Barkley is not around. I think that highly of this player. Yeah, I mean, and look, we've seen this is the value of running backs, right? The the anti-Saquon Barkley argument is how many teams can find guys that can absolutely contribute in different roles, running backs by committees. I mean, you saw the Chiefs last year with, with uh, Isaiah Pacheco out of, out of Rutgers in the seventh round as well. So be interesting. And I, and I wonder, by the way, the way you talk about him not having that second burst, if Gray is inevitably maybe going to steal some of those goal line carries as well, you know, well, kind of keep the wear and tear off Barkley as the year not goes impossible. on. Not impossible. Not impossible, Sean, because when you watch him, he keeps his legs churning, much like Bradshaw did. You look at him and you say, okay, you're not the tallest guy. You're not the widest guy. You don't have those thick quads or thick thighs. You, and you say no, but then you watch the tape. And he's very, very physical. He will run it right up there between the tackles, and his legs don't stop. He finds ways to sneak in behind those linemen and then get underneath them. And with leverage, he will push the pile. He will get yards after contact. This is a good player. Now, do you think this means they don't carry Gary Brightwell or they carry four backs? Uh, you know, like what, what do you think? I happens? think it's a hell of a competition because the okay. Giants now now a good enough team where they've got a real numbers game problem. Yeah, there are which is a good thing to have. Players right. that aren't going to make the 53. Where do you steal that extra spot from? 
Do you steal it from the running back room? Do you steal it from the DB's room? Do you steal it from the tight end's room? I mean, where are you going to steal the spot from? I mean, yeah. uh, the Giants are going to have some really tough decisions to make in August. Which you wonder, maybe the Giants find a way to acquire another sixth or seventh round pick at the end of camp by trading somebody. We'll see. And that's kind of the masterclass of Shane. All right. Now, these other guys at the end here. You know, I think I was mildly surprised that they spent two of the final three picks in the defensive backfield because you just talked about they, you know, now they're suddenly very loaded there. Um, you know, maybe not great, great players, but, you know, that those are guys that you hope make the team there at the end. Hawkins seems like just an athletic freak, though, Paul, that they're really, yeah. you know, positive about is his raw ability. Sub 4-4 four, four speed when he was timed. I believe 4-3-9 was his quickest time. Uh, he He's a tackler. And he's got burner speed. So now you think about it. The Giants right now, Nick McLeod was their best gunner last year. But I think we could all agree he was good. But if you could upgrade, you certainly would like to try. Yeah, for sure. And, and the Giants the Giants could use some better coverage units on specials. <laughs> I think that's where Hawkins fits in. And We honestly, were the special teams podcast. We, we highlighted that plenty. Okay. And Javarius Owens, the same way out of Houston. This is a guy who... You know, he's over six feet tall, uh, maybe not quite the burner speed, but both Hawkins and Owens have length, okay? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, both of them are in the 80 percentile in terms of defensive backs' length coming out of the combine. Well, Owens had a couple of block punts a couple of years ago in college, so he's definitely a special teams guy who, when you have length, you've got the ability – to get down there and make make plays in coverage, and you also have the ability to get after the punter or the kicker. So I think what the Giants did was they saw athletic ability and traits that could be very, very useful on specials. I'm not so sure that either one of those guys fit on the depth chart as much as they may be special teams demons. The question becomes, how many special teams roster well, spots can the Giants put on the back of their 53? Because that's a luxury. And that's what I was going to follow up with. Obviously, when you take guys on day three, how they make a team is on special teams. But, you know, they carried a couple of these guys like Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin, who mainly only saw the field for special Correct. teams. Correct. So I guess what I'm asking you is, were they taken specifically with special teams in mind or taken with, yeah, we like their special teams, but we think we could develop them later on as guys in the secondary? Well, there were so many corners and safeties ahead of both players. I think those guys were taken with the potential that they could be special teams demons. And if it means that you've got to put those two DBs ahead of those two linebackers and revamp your special teams that way, well, may the best man win. Nobody's yeah. guaranteed spots, especially not on the back of the roster. Because Cam Brown's so, a damn good gunner, too. I mean, it's crazy if they, you know, they're going to have to cut somebody. Well, there's no question. And, and the truth of the matter is, Coughlin and Cam Brown have not proven that they can necessarily give you value uh, out of the standard defense, yeah. even in a sub package. They haven't proven that. And, and even on special teams, they've been two of the Giants' better special teams guys. But you're not going to sit there and tell me they can't improve on that production. Well, that's true, too. I mean, if you're the best on a, on a unit that's not that good, then, you know, right, we, we could obviously improve – Everywhere. All right, real quickly before I let you go, just any thoughts at all? A guy I don't know much about, you know, playing at Oregon, Jordan Riley, the D tackle. It's worth noting the Giants have added Ashawn Robinson. They've added Nacho. They have obviously Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence. Uh, last year they drafted Davidson as well. Uh, it feels like it's going to be Riley v. Davidson for that 50 tackle spot here, Paul. 
and Ryder Anderson has put on some bulk during Ryder the offseason. And I think they Ryder. like Anderson as a flexible guy who can play multiple positions on the defensive line. So does Riley so, have the most uphill battle on making the team, you think? I think so. I think they they simply saw a guy who was 6'5", 338 pounds, at defensive tackle, which these days, as Joe Shane has told us way back when at the combine, he said, those guys are hard to find. Those big bodies, they don't grow them on trees. And so if you can get one out of a major Div Division One program, what you do is you take a flyer. I think he and Owens are the two most likely to find themselves on the practice squad. Okay. Hey, look, we're in a good space if the Giants are using two draft picks and have to try to sneak it through in the on the practice squad. That means the roster has extremely improved in all areas. And by the way, also screams why the Giants should have to kind of well-rounded this traded up in rounds one and uh, and three, because look, you're already talking about two guys on the back end. You, you maybe have to sneak in on the practice exactly. squad. And he didn't have to dip into next year's draft, yep. which he said he'd be willing to do, and he didn't have to do it. So overall, Paul, we're giving this a big old A. I'm giving it an A. Well, I, I don't grade drafts until three years out, but it's I just think a smart thing to do. I think based on what the Giants did, the value, the, the the positions that where they got them, the need, et cetera, et cetera, you'd have to say the Giants absolutely, with their 11 free agents and their seven rookies, they have clearly, unequivocally improved this team in several spots. And I don't think you or anybody else could look at this roster and say there is a gaping hole that they're desperate to fill. They've done a really solid job here. There may be a couple of spots that are a little thinner, or you might have a little bit of a question, ah, what's the depth going to be? But there are no gaping holes here anymore, Sean. The Giants, the Giants are a team to be reckoned with. All right, well, Paul, I hope I can catch up with you again soon, but not knowing when I'm going to catch up with you again, I just need you to answer this. Now, you just mentioned the roster improvement. Will the Giants be 0-4 versus the Cowboys and Eagles again in 2023? I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think that they've necessarily overtaken Philadelphia, which also had a very no, nice draft. They have, they have not. I understand that. Okay, so I think maybe they've helped that gap close a little bit. And if Jalen Hurts winds up coming backwards, who knows what could happen? But I think the Eagles still have the best roster, at least as we sit here today in the division. I think unequivocally, the Giants have the second best roster in the division, though. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not concerned about losing two games to Dallas. You heard that, Cowboys fans? Paul Latino's got you. You heard that? All right, Paul, where where can we follow you on Twitter as always? At Giants WFAN. And you can follow me at Mraz CBS. Paul, thanks for joining us again, man. Sean, always good to talk to you again. Stay well. All right. Thank you, everybody. Remember, download, subscribe everywhere podcasts are available. Any episode we pop up this summer will appear there. Free on the Odyssey app as well. Thank you to our producer, James. Thanks for taking one giant step up. <laughs>